I wish those well-meaning but misinformed people who curl their upper lip halfway up to their eyebrow and talk through their nose and say, needs young people now name. I wish they could be here tonight. I think the church has got a great future. I don't think there's any question about what lies ahead with young people that love God like this. Don't you tell me the church is in trouble. Honey, if it was your church, it might be in trouble. But this is his church, and these are his kids, and they're in love with him. My, my, my. I read to you tonight from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1. Wow. People that don't want to be saved just ain't found out what it's about yet. And those that have been and want to leave don't have the sense God gave a blind goose and a hailstorm. There ain't nothing like this anywhere. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep Monday night. A time to laugh Tuesday night. A time to mourn Monday night. Time to dance. Tonight. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing this week. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war. And a time of peace. I want to bring a declaration to the youth of the Texas district tonight. Hear this in capital letters. It is wartime. I said the Lord is issuing a call tonight. He is telling you no longer are you passive receivers from Him. He is commissioning you to bring about revival throughout the Texas district. He is empowering you to tear down the fortress of Satan. It is wartime. You can do whatever you want to. Be seated, stand up, or jump up and down and holler like a wild maniac. I don't care. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, recognized that there are seasons in a man's life. That indeed every year is not the same. That month to month and week to week, the activities of man will be altered. That the sum of a man's days will see periods of weeping followed by periods of laughter. Periods of mourning and times of dancing. Seasons of getting, seasons of losing. 
a while of silence and then a while of speaking. And all these many activities are good and proper in their time. But the thing that intrigues me tonight is that in the last verse in this passage, God inspired His man to say that there is a time for war. Oh, I know he says there's a time of peace as well, and that day will come. For Scripture tells us there'll be a day when we will learn war no more. But the Bible does say that there is a time for war. So the question then becomes, when is it wartime? I would present to you tonight that it is wartime when the need for battle overcomes my carnal desire for inactivity. It is wartime when the cause becomes bigger than my love of pleasure. Hey, it's wartime when the enemy has invaded my land. It's wartime when the enemy starts meddling in my youth group. It's wartime when the enemy starts setting up camp in the Texas district. It's time for somebody to square their shoulders and say, Not on your life, Bubba. This is war. It's wartime when he holds my friends hostage. It's wartime when he holds my parents captive. It's wartime when he holds my brothers and sisters in chains in his camp. It's time for somebody to get militant and say, I'm going in to battle. It is wartime when my passion for revival turns into a preference for revival. It's wartime when I'd rather have blessings than burdens and pizza parties than prayer meetings. When I'd rather knock a softball than knock a door. It's time for war. I'll just tell you right between your eyes. When you'd rather discuss earn run averages than home Bible studies, it's time to make a change. And it's sure enough not time for some mealy-mouthed, weak-kneed, spineless imitation of an apostolic youth group. But I feel my sword a-quivering in the sheath tonight. I hear the bugler's call. I hear the captain of our salvation issuing orders tonight to his troops. And he's saying, hey, it's time for war. I hear the Lord saying, hey, I brought you together from all over Texas, and I didn't bring you here for a tea party. I didn't bring you here for a social activity center. This is not an ordinary youth camp. I didn't bring you here to see how many addresses you can get. You're not here to find out if you can win a ball game. You're not here to find out how many friends you can impress with your clothes. Darling, we aren't here to close our eyes, and we're not here to eye the clothes. We are here to prepare ourselves for battle in the presence of the Lord. It is wartime. It is wartime. Somebody say it. It is wartime. It is wartime. I want to talk to you tonight about three things. We're going to talk about this army's purpose. We're going to talk about this army's prerequisite. And we're going to talk about this army's power. 
I'm going to really wow you with this theological wonder. I'm going to blow your mind with the depth of this spiritual revelation. You ready? This army's purpose. Better get a seat for this one. It's going to knock you down. This army's purpose is to fight. Isn't that deep? General Norman Schwarzkopf, who led our forces in Desert Storm, said an army, in his words, he said it has only two purposes. He said an army exists for only two reasons. It's there to kill people and to break things. I'm here to tell you this army exists for two reasons. To break down the strongholds of Satan and not to kill people, but to introduce them to the life giver. And we are not fulfilling our obligation or our responsibility or our reason for existence if we refuse to fight. Brother Jack Cunningham, our general home missions director, attends the church I attend when we both happen to be in town. And he preached there one Sunday morning and he made a statement that slapped me between the eyes. And I have to tell you, it's kind of roughed me up ever since then. He said the day that we stop being passionate about winning the lost, we forfeit the right to be called the church. Hey, wait a minute. I thought it was when we stopped having potluck dinners. I thought it was when the choir stopped sounding great. I thought it was when we didn't have dynamic worship. I thought if the preaching wasn't excited, that's what made us a church. He said, you better understand something. This army exists for one purpose. You're not saved just so you could be saved. You're not in this thing just so you could feel good. He put you here to be a soul winner in his kingdom. He put you in this church to do warfare against the powers of darkness and I tell you that the day you think you can float through your teen years and pacify your conscience with promises of what you're going to do later on you forfeit the right to be called an apostolic youth group you might be a youth activity center but you're not an apostolic youth group unless you're passionate about being involved in war so I tell you tonight, we need to commit ourselves to an all over again, all out, nothing held back, no holds barred, everything's fair, assault on the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because it's wartime, and you're an army, and you've been commissioned to fight. You hear me tonight, let me help you a little bit. David got in trouble when it was war time and he wouldn't fight. The Bible says that there was a time in the year when the kings went out to war. Now that seems strange to us. That on January 1, you just pencil it in your calendar. August 12th, we're going to go have a war. Don't know what it'll be about yet. But we'll come up with something. But the Bible says there was a season of the year that the kings went out to battle. And that particular year, David said, you know what? That warfare stuff looks a little painful. That warfare stuff looks a little bloody. That warfare stuff doesn't look like as much fun as volleyball tournaments. 
that warfare stuff doesn't look like as much fun as gym socials. I kind of think that if this thing's about war, I'll just sit this one out. Y'all have a good time. I sure hope you have victory, but don't count me being involved in the battle. Hey, David, you better hear me. It was during that time that Bathsheba was next door and David got messed up. You better hear me. When it's time for war and you decide to sit it out, temptation is going to come knocking on your doorstep. I've been a youth pastor, and I'll tell you when I had trouble with my youth group. I'll tell you when carnality ran rampant. It was when all those kids kept looking at me saying, when are we going to have the next hayride? When are you going to give us something else? When are we going to have a pizza party? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I'll tell you when I didn't have carnality in my youth group. It was when those kids were saying, when can we knock on doors? When can we teach a Bible study? When's the next prayer meeting? When are we going to fast? How about having a Bible club at school? Can we start school evangelism? when they were fighting when they were fighting a whole lot of garbage stayed out of my youth group can I just let me just help you stop demanding that the church entertain you Stop insisting that your youth pastor be nothing more than a glorified wiener roast coordinator. You're still not getting it. God didn't call him to just plan basketball tournaments. God didn't call him to just pat you on the head and make you feel good. Who said the church exists to make you feel good? Your youth pastor's there to lead you in revival. He's there to lead you in evangelism. Stop demanding that he entertain you. Quit sucking your bottom lip every time Friday night isn't fun. Who said it was supposed to be fun? Said, I thought youth service was supposed to be fun. Huh? Youth service is supposed to reach the lost. If it's fun, that's a benefit. But honey, if you're bored to tears and free get the Holy Ghost, I'm saying that's what it's all about. In Judges chapter 12, the Ephraimites had the wrong motive, the wrong spirit, but I do like their zeal. As the Ephraimites came to Jephthah and said, what do you mean you went to battle and didn't invite us? We'll burn your house down. That's what they said. It was for all the wrong reasons. You would think the Ephraimites would go, dodge that one, draft Dodgers. We missed it. Praise God. You don't remember this, and I don't either, but back when they had the fishbowl drawings, draft cards, draft numbers, I don't really remember hearing too many guys saying they were listening to the radio when they were calling out those numbers saying, boy, I hope I get number one because I just can't wait to go. Oh, man. They figured anything lower than 360 was bad news. But the Ephraimites said, you mean to tell me you had a battle and didn't invite us to come fight? We're upset. Let me clue you into something, dear children of my father. 
I had plenty of kids upset when I had a pizza party and didn't get around to inviting them. Kids were a dime a dozen that get upset if they didn't get a personalized, engraved, hand-delivered invitation to the lock-in. But I didn't bear it up and have kids come up to me and say, what do you mean you had an all-night prayer meeting and didn't invite me? Most of the time they went, wow, dodge that one. Oh, but I wish something would get in the heart of the youth of Texas that you get up next to your pastor and say, pastor, youth pastor, just as soon as you get ready to fight, you let me know. I'll be there. I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll witness. I'll knock doors. I'm going to be involved in the battle. You don't belong in the grandstands, darling. You don't belong on the sidelines watching the battle. You aren't supposed to read about it in USA Today or read about it in the Pentecostal Herald. God is calling you to get out of the grandstands and get in the battle. That is your purpose to fight. This army's purpose is to fight. But there is a prerequisite to this army. This army's prerequisite, and I can prove it to you from Scripture, is purity. I can prove it to you. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Deuteronomy 23 and 9. When the host goeth forth against thine enemy, then keep thyself from every wicked thing. There is a prerequisite before you go into battle, darling. Young man, there is a prerequisite before you start fighting, and it is purity. You better not get casual with this warfare stuff. You better never get the idea that this battle is for the half-hearted, quasi-spiritual, lukewarm apostolic. You better think again, my friend. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You will not be carnal and use them. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You hear me tonight. I am not worried about our commander keeping his end of the bargain. 2 Timothy 1.12, we quote a lot. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. We quote that a lot. I know that what I give to him, he'll keep. But two verses later, we don't quote it as much, where the Word of God says that good thing that he has, I'm sorry, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost. I know that what I gave him, he'll keep. But the question is, the good thing that he gave you, will you keep it? What good thing are you talking about? Let's just settle the issue. I'll tell you a good thing that's been given to this generation that we better keep. 
this doctrine. Let me just sound a certain sound tonight. You ready? The bugle's about to blow, and you're going to know what it's saying. It does take repentance. It does take Jesus' name baptism. It does take the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's a good thing that's been given to us. I say keep it. I said it's good. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. I don't care what the critics say. I don't care what the backsliders say. I don't care what the charismatics say. I'm telling you, this is truth. It's the only truth. And this generation better keep it. There is one God. And his name is one. And that name is? Just get it in your heart. His name is? Keep it. 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 Let me tell me to show you something. In the book of Amos, God pronounced judgments on nations. And he pronounced judgments in pairs. He pronounced judgment in one place on the nation of Moab and the nation of Ammon. Moab is condemned because they burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. And Ammon is condemned because they ripped open, I'm sorry this is so gruesome, but they ripped open women that were with child. Moab is condemned for desecrating the memory of the last generation. And Ammon is condemned for destroying the hope of the next. We stand between two generations, and we've been handed a pure doctrine that has come all the way from the day of Pentecost. If you and I change it, if you and I water it down, if you and I stop believing it, we are going to desecrate the memory of our white-headed elders and we're going to destroy the hope of the next generation. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it. Hold it. Just stand where you're at. Look at me. I don't want you to just, I do want you to know it, but I don't just want you to know Jesus' name baptism. I want you to love Jesus' name baptism. I don't want you to love it without knowing it, but I don't want you to know it without loving it. He said, I will come and wreak vengeance, not on those who have not received the knowledge of the truth. He said, I'm going to pound on the heads of those who have not received a love for the truth. Is there anybody out there that figures to believe this until the day you die? Is 
anybody out there that figures you're always going to be excited about the fact that there's one God and his name is Jesus and you've been baptized in his name and he fills you with his spirit. Keep it, keep it, keep it. You know why? That's a good thing he's given us. That doesn't cripple our growth, darling. We don't have to change that to grow. We've got exactly what people are looking for. Let me clue you into something. I'd hate to go into battle in this generation with a watered-down believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved message. I'd hate to go to a drug addict and have the only message just come up and shake my hand and you're part of the church. I'd hate to go into battle with that message. But honey, you give me the truth of Acts 2.38 and bring me every pervert, bring me every drug addict, bring me every homosexual. And this gospel is powerful. You must have a pure message to go into battle with. All right. Now you have fun with that. Don't you die on me on this next point. Because it's a good thing to have this doctrine and keep it. But I'll tell you another good thing we've got we better keep. Our separation. Nothing changed. The book still says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The book still says, Without holiness, no man, no man shall see the Lord. I say to this generation of Texas young people, It's a good thing to be holy. Keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Early in my ministry, I had a gentleman pat me on the shoulder, very condescending look on his face. And he said, son, it's just not popular to preach about that. If you maintain a message of separation, you will not be well received. Well, it's not right. I read the book. And the book said, Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You say I won't be well received, honey. They may not like it, but my father said, I'll receive you, son. Just stay pure. Stay pure. Stay pure. Keep it. Keep it. Listen to me. You ought not just get excited about it when you hear me say it. The next time your pastor teaches and preaches on holiness, why don't you get on your feet at home just like you're doing here? Don't give him a hard time when he tries to keep you saved. Don't criticize when he tries to keep you pure. Just say, I love it, Pastor. It's a good thing, and I'm going to keep it. (laughs) 
say, man, you are awful narrow-minded. Thank you. I'm trying to walk a narrow way. You just need to be more broad-minded, son. Thank you. No, thank you. I read the book. I saw where the Broadway goes. It leads to destruction. I'm planning on being part of a church that maintains a pure life. And let me just help you with something. Hogwash on that message from hell that says, well, we'd get more young people if we didn't have all these standards. Hogwash on that gospel that says our church should grow if we'd water it down. If we'd water it down, we'd feed more people. Honey, the only thing you've got to water down to feed more people is soup. It don't work with the gospel. My daddy is not in the habit of watering stuff down. He took one Long John Silver's carryout dinner and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He don't have to water it down, honey. Give him a pure message. He'll bless it and multiply it to feed your whole high school. My Lord. You know what I'm saying to you very simply? I have never seen a Marine come back from boot camp with his dress white uniform on and put a top coat over it. Boy, what's the matter? It's kind of hot out. Oh, I know, but if I let anybody see the uniform, they'll know what army I'm in. I'm not scared for my high school to know what army I'm in. I'm kind of glad to wear the uniform. I'm one of the few, the proud, the chosen, not a Marine, darling, but an apostolic young person in 1997. Wear the uniform, sweetheart. Ladies, you look beautiful. Don't you watch what Seventeen Magazine says. You look beautiful. They look trashy. Before the battle. Well, okay, just settle down. Hey, you know what? You know what? Hey, I remember in chemistry in high school, which has now been a thousand and a half years ago, we studied about something called free radicals. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I just got to tell you, honey. If you think I'm radical, it's only because I'm free. <laughs> this ain't bondage, honey. I'm not living in a prison camp. I'm living just exactly like I want to live. I'm going where I want to go, reading what I want to read, wearing what I want to wear. I love being his child.
you hear me and I'm going to finish quick. This army's, I'm going to preach. This army's power, how strong is it? Well, I know this. In the book of Ezekiel, his spirit moved over a whole bunch of dead, dry bones. And they stood up on their feet as an exceeding great army. Now, honey, if he can do that with a graveyard, what do you reckon he can do with a youth group that's talking in tongues and dancing and celebrating and full of the power of God? Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I know you could get excited, but you've got to hear what I'm about to say. In the Song of Solomon, God describes his bride, that's you, as an army terrible with banners. Now, hear me. That word terrible doesn't mean like Lufkin water. That ain't what it means. It comes from the word terror. It means that his army strikes terror into the heart of the devil. I don't know if you understand this, but hell is having a cardiac arrest tonight. The devil is terrified of what you're going to do when you leave this campground and go back to your church. You scare him to death. Wait a minute. His army is terrible, the Bible says, with banners so I asked the Lord to show me what banners we carry there are only two verses in the Bible that identify the banners we carry one of them is Psalm chapter 60 and verse 4 thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee wait that it may be displayed because of the truth Wait, Song of Solomon 2.4, he brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Now hear me, this army scares the devil when you have both banners. Listen, you want to know why the charismatics don't scare the devil? They've got love, but they don't have truth. Hold it. You want to know when you don't scare the devil? When you've got truth, but you don't have enough love to get into your high schools and do something with it. Oh, but if you get love and you get truth and you go back to your church.
then you become an army that terrifies the devil. So, the captain of your salvation calls tonight. He issues a bugler's cry. Who is on the Lord's side among you? Now, wait a minute. Let me finish one more thing and I'm done. In the book of Job, Zophar is speaking. He is describing the condition of a wicked man. And he says, a bow of steel shall strike him through. Hear me. Hear me. They didn't have shotguns. They didn't have howitzers. There wasn't anything stronger he could think of than a bow. And to make it doubly strong, he said it was a bow of steel. You know what he was saying? That darling little girl that sits behind you in algebra, whose daddy is molesting her every night, every morning when she gets up, the devil takes that bow of steel. Ugh. That young man you work at McDonald's with, who's 15 years old and hooked on crack. Every morning the devil pulls out that bow. Say, what am I supposed to do about it? Good news. There's only one other verse in all the Bible that uses the phrase, a bow of steel. David said, thou teachest my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arm. Hear me, my voice is going fast right now, but hear me, darling, you've got the power in the Holy Ghost to walk into that algebra class, walk back to that girl, lay hands on her head, and break. You can walk into that McDonald's hot dog, lay your hands on that boy's head, and break that addiction. Get a hold of love. I am 
issuing a battle cry to the youth of the Texas district. Where is the army in Texas? Where are the young people that are going to go home and go into battle in your city, in your high school, in your church, in your youth group? Come on, Texas young people. Let's be his army. Turn back. That's it. That's turn the back. real Holy Ghost. 